Welcome to the Xeno Learn podcast, where we ask the question, if you could teach the next generation one thing, what would it be? I'm your host, Claire, and I'm so excited for you to join us today. I'm so excited for you to meet our first guest, Christine Boucher. Christine is a retired high school English teacher. She spent most of her 31-year career at a small Catholic French high school in London, Ontario, Canada. She enjoys cooking, crocheting, reading, and walking. Full disclosure, she is also my mom, and a kick-ass mom to boot. I'm so glad that she agreed to be on the podcast, because she shares some very insightful experiences and lessons about teaching, and particularly the power of connecting with people where they are at, both in the literature that they read and in their relationships in and outside of the classroom. And welcome, Christine Boucher, to the Xeno Learn podcast. Thank you for having me, Claire. Of course, I know you as mum, but you are a very experienced teacher. And at the school, you were known as Madame Boucher. But I'm very excited to be starting this podcast with you. I really can't think of a better first guest. You know that the whole purpose of this podcast is to talk about what we can teach children and how we can better teach to create a world that's more inclusive and pluralist and welcoming of human differences. And so I'm so excited to have you. Thank you so, so much. I wanted to let you start and ask you a little bit about your story and how you got into teaching and how long you've been teaching. Maybe you can share with our listeners a bit of your personal story. Sure, sure. So my teaching career started in 1987, but my intention when I was younger was definitely not to be a teacher. I applied to all kinds of universities for business and uh, started uh, my first year of uh, university at the University of Western Ontario and uh, we got a chance to take classes from all kinds of faculties. It turns out that languages was really what I was passionate about. So I took language classes and in my third year I did a third year abroad which really transformed me and when I came back and finished my fourth year I met my future husband as you know and thought about what I was going to do with this education that I had and uh, applied to teachers college was accepted yeah the rest is kind of history (laughs) and it's history but not everyone knows the history so what languages specifically were you teaching after university So the funny thing is that my degree is an honors degree in French with a minor in English. And I spent my uh, teaching career uh, teaching English in French high schools, uh, which was my experience. I was uh, from Northern Ontario. I went to a French high school. And for me, after my year abroad, it was really a matter of importance that my culture, my Francophone culture, which was a minority in Ontario, 
uh, was valued. And at the same time that I had an opportunity to make that real for uh, students in Southwestern Ontario who are going to small French language school and need to realize the significance of that and the value added to their lives of having more than one language. And when you were in the classroom and you've been in the classroom for, I mean, you've touched the 80s, the 90s, the aughts, the 2010s, you know, how would you say your teaching style has been and has it evolved throughout your time as a teacher? I think that when I started my career, my focus was mostly on content. I had to really know my stuff because I was imparting that information. So a lot of the first years is really getting to know the material that you're teaching to get to know how students learn. You know, in those first years, you make a lot of mistakes and you learn from (laughs) your mistakes and that's how you improve. And I found that at the very beginning, what's really, really significant is that you have to be passionate about your subject and you have to love being with teenagers. You have to love people And if you're passionate and you love being in your environment, then I think you can teach anything Mm -hmm. because people realize that you're authentic and they make connections with you in however many ways. So for me, it was loving my subject, love spending time with students. I try to engage students on many levels, so not just in the classroom. So before class, in the hallways, for extracurricular activities, because the key to having a great classroom, I believe, is to make connections with people where they're at. And it that's not English, and that's not a particular subject. It's, it's talking to them about their extracurriculars, their families, their likes. And I wanted to establish these connections so that it would translate positively in the classroom. Not everybody that comes into a classroom is a fan of English, but my hope is always that they would be happy to spend 75 minutes in my class. So in terms of style, I know that I believed in maintaining dignity at all times. So my dignity, so not blowing it, not losing you know, steam, not yelling, and the students' dignity uh, by always giving them a choice. So dignity was really, really important. Respect was also very important. That was part of my teaching style. And um, I know that I laughed a lot. (laughs) Yes, you did. (laughs) That's important because we have to have fun. And I, I have said it often mostly when I'm trying to model a writing a creative writing exercise but if you're not having fun you're doing it wrong and so for me it was important to to laugh yeah Um, famous Madame Boucher is saying if you're not having fun you're doing it wrong you're doing it wrong so my teaching style evolved for sure at the beginning I focused on content I focused on the students and their learning and trying to be in the zone. My confidence grew. 
I learned a lot from my mistakes. I'm probably the teacher that I am because students have called me on things and I have learned, oh, this is not okay. Oh, this is how I should have done it. And I am not above saying, oops, I messed up. Sorry for that. If you'll forgive me for being imperfect, yeah. we can yeah. continue. Yeah. But I have the best subject ever because <laughs> I'm not teaching math and I'm not teaching a subject that's analytic. Well, English is analytical, but it allows us to talk about feelings mm. and it allows us to explore who we are. Like what a fantastic subject that is. So what I wanted to tell you was that uh, once the content and my approaches were like developed and was part of my toolbox, I turned to focusing on the group. So every year, I never really knew what I was going to teach a group because I had to like get to know their personalities. Mm -hmm. And I did that sometimes I did a few get to know you journal entries so that I found out what their likes and their dislikes were because I I wanted to teach them something or for us to learn something together that would be beneficial that we needed at that time wow. so I often change the content based on the interests of the group so so I'm going to give you an example, Claire. Uh, why teach Lord of the Flies or The Great Gatsby to students who couldn't and would never relate? Like yeah. a bunch of little white boys on an island. Like the idea, <laughs> the idea is is fantastic, except that the time period is not relatable. It's a yeah. classic. Don't get me wrong. I, you know, it's a classic of literature and kids who are interested in literature will read that on their own later on and get the valuable lessons from that. And same with The Great Gatsby. Oh, my goodness. You know, that aspiration of the American dream and, and wanting that and and the, you know, the difference between the, the social classes and and how it's crushing mm -hmm. people. It's it's absolutely a valuable theme. Yeah. But it's not relatable. The writing style's not relatable. Yeah. The time period's not relatable. Oh my goodness. So <laughs> for me, I yeah. thought that some of these novels and the novels that English teachers have been teaching over the years are books that if I'm looking mm -hmm. at the students in my class, their parents studied and their grandparents yeah. studied. It is time to change. <laughs> and it's time to change a book because I get it that it would be really cool for grandma and grandpa and mom and dad and you to sit at the table and talk about your experiences with a book, like Wuthering Heights, for instance. But <laughs> there are so many other fantastic books yeah. written in those periods. Uh, the point on relatability and Lord of the Flies, you know, who is Lord <laughs> of the Flies relatable to? Well, it would be relatable to uh, people in the 50s who probably were British mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, whose uh, children were sent away during the Second World War 
and to it's it's about understanding government and understanding yeah. democracy and and uh, dictatorship and it's about good versus evil and great themes but the context not relatable of, and, and the characters too like you said these are you know teenage caucasian boys you know and your and, classroom is not just teenage caucasian boys no, no no and really because we we were a francophone high school following the um the conflict in burundi in 1993 94 yeah. mm -hmm. there was a huge influx of French-speaking African students who were coming into our classes. Yeah. It's time to change. Yeah. Those students did not have any connections to North American history, North American culture. Mm -hmm. It is not yeah. time. So yeah. in the last 20 years, Claire, I have encouraged my students to read post-2000 literature. <laughs> Yeah, because such I, as? I really, well, so because I really believe that we should be reading maybe Canadian authors. Let's start there anyways. And we should be reading stories, Canadian stories. But I really wanted them to to select novels that were written in in their lifetimes. So I know that Crab Claire was written before 2000, yeah. uh, but the writer is Canadian and yeah. the story is a Canadian story. The uh, novel Ragged Company is Canadian, written by a native Canadian, like No Great Mischief by Alistair <laughs> MacLeod. Like yeah. my love that. They have developed extraordinary characters. They have addressed really sensitive issues that are relatable. Teenage re rebellion, alcoholism, drug abuse, family mm. issues. Uh, homelessness and yeah. at the root of it all the message that we're all human beings imperfect that we are needing to feel loved and needing a sense of belonging and wow. I know that my my approach is not shared by everybody in terms of all the English teachers mm -hmm. certainly not on staff but those are the subjects that I felt were significant because it taught people about values. Mm -hmm. And so I, where I would not go into dystopian literature because not a big fan, first of all, but I find that why are we talking about negatives when we can already address the real issues that are happening in society and, and finding ways to analyze and, and decide what we can learn from that. I know they're not popular. I think I'm the only one who taught No Great Mischief. The only one who taught Ragged Company. And maybe it's because it's like such an emotional thing. And it makes you the person that you are. It's beautiful. So I'm hearing diversity is key. The diversity of teaching styles and stories and perspectives. Wow. Absolutely. Absolutely. So it sounds, it also sounds to me like you've been acutely aware of the power of the stories that you are teaching in class. Is that Absolutely. fair to say? 
Absolutely. In everything, I short stories I selected because they had something to tell. Poetry, I think it's about how human beings relate. Everything I selected was about that. About how human beings relate. Absolutely. Wow. And relating in respectful ways. Absolutely. With dignity and love towards one another. Absolutely. It was so much fun. Mm. And 31 years just flew by. And, you know, if I didn't have to do as much marking as I did, I would have done that job forever. Like it, it was a lot of fun. And as a supply teacher, the best time I have is spending time with the students. So 31 years. How many students do you think you've taught over the span <laughs> of 31 years? As so, again, as a high school teacher, you haven't quite specified the grades that you taught yet, but you were often teaching grade nine English and, you know, following the Ontario curriculum, grade 11 English. Okay, so I, I was uh, talking about it with, with folks. Uh, I figure there has to be like a formula, right? Because when you teach in a small school, you get those students every year. Mm-hmm. So they're not different and some of them for six years right so I'm thinking it it might be between like 3,000 and 4,000 it's not I don't know I assumed like 25 students um, per classroom times six you know and then maybe it changes every couple of years I don't know it was a hard thing to decide how many students right and Mm. there's probably if you if you google it i didn't but you know how many how many students does an average high school teacher teach in 31 years there's probably a number and in a regular high school where you don't see the same students ever right uh-huh. if you teach grade 9 for your entire 31 years then that number would change but i don't know i don't know it was a lot <laughs> in the thousands Oh, for sure. For sure in the thousands. So just, I just want everyone to sit on that number for a moment. (laughs) You know, an average teacher will teach throughout their career thousands of students. How impactful is that? How, what an impression you are putting on thousands of students how unbelievable wow yes when you say it like that it's uh it's even more pressure i don't think i think about that <laughs> nearly as much when, no when i think actually going on i think i just i'm just trying to sort of raise the larger point that teachers are so valuable in our society and unfortunately not all societies value teachers at the, the same way, uh, quite as highly as Canada does, Canada's culture of recognizing and celebrating teachers in Ontario, our context is quite high, but there are mm-hmm. some countries where it's just not the same at all. And what have some of your students gone on to do without naming names? Could you, you know, where are some of your students now? Um, some interesting careers or some some artists or crazy paths 
So I, um, I've given that a lot of thought and I, I just thought I would take another approach. When you teach high school, you get to meet these wonderful young human beings. They're discovering who they are. And when they see their high school teachers again, they're like, oh, madame, I am just not the same kid that I was in your class. And of course not. And so if you're asking me about the the students, I would tell you that they've grown up to become positive, contributing citizens in all kinds of fields. Some of them have raised families who have then sent their children to the Catholic French system, which means that they're willing to share their educational experience with their children. That's a huge success. Like, of course, I know that some of them have become lawyers and engineers and they have doctorates in physics and it's remarkable. Some are flying jets and uh, some are like leaders in their fields. But I think that that is an experience that would be common to like any school, right? But what's really amazing is that they're coming back to make a difference on the next generation. And to me, that's a success, but it's not a personal success as much as it has been a team success and family because, I mean, like it or not, that little school, it's a family. It's special. What a lucky person I was. (laughs) So I want to kind of close the loop here and get back to Xenolearn. Um, because as you know, Zelo Learn's mission is to learn about others in a respectful, inclusive, and, and pluralist way. And it sounds like you've been very aware of this, um, perhaps consciously or subconsciously throughout your career. But, but now, looking back with all of the experience and all of the learning from your mistakes I was wondering if you could share one thing that if you could go back into the classroom, how would you teach it differently? What would you teach differently? What would you change in the curriculum? What would you advise teachers today? What would that thing be to make education a bit better than it was before? Um, So one thing, Claire, wow. First of all, I would say to teachers, don't be afraid to read more contemporary literature and get out of your comfort zone. There are all kinds of genres. I mean, that advice is for me too. I needed to get out of my comfort zone and I have read other genres, but uh, get out of your genre and read contemporary literature. That to me is like number one and read all kinds of literature, you know, short stories, poetry, uh, go to poetry slams, anything that allows you to connect with people where they are right now. And that's so, so, so important. You know, I get, I understand the value of the past and there's lots of things to learn and let's do like a historical English kind of lesson for that. But don't be afraid to read. The The issue with Uh, teachers right now is that school boards often have a list of approved works to be studied in class and school boards are a big machine it's not easy to make a change Um, and it's very political in the choices so I'm confessing here Claire that I have 
if I had needed to, I would have asked for forgiveness because I did not ask for permission. In teaching Ragged Company, I always started the spiel in class with, there's a lot of vulgar language by one of the narrators in this novel. There are some very difficult moments in this novel. If you feel that you or your parents would be offended by this, I am happy to substitute that novel. Usually when I preface with that, they're like, oh, there are F-bombs in this. I think I want to read that. But they don't tell me that. They're like, no, no, madame, it's okay. It's okay. But I think that that's, it's important. And in teaching Ragged Company, it improves, like the style improves over the course of the novel. But if I had to, I would have asked for forgiveness because I did not ask for permission. And I'm sure that young teachers are not comfortable asking for forgiveness when they start off their career. That's why I feel that XenoLearn is exactly what school boards need. They need to be connected with contemporary literature that addresses sensitive issues, diversity, inclusivity, pluralism in creative ways. School boards need to have a pool of resources that they can draw from and material, I'm going to tell you right now, that not everybody is willing to sit down and create teaching material. Um, I can tell you how many times I have loaned out my questions, you know, and my material for No Great Mischief or Ragged Company because not everybody has the time or wants to devote the time to create teaching materials. So if it's ready and mm -hmm. if it's available, and if school boards are, are made aware that that material exists, then they can go into those resources. And I think that that's a good way, because it's such a big machine, I think it's a good way to make an impact. But we have to convince teachers we have to spark their curiosity. We have to offer them opportunities to change the lens that they see the world through. And I think that XenoLearn is going to do exactly that. I think that it's the way of the future. Oh, thank you so much for your kind words. Thank you, Madame well, Boucher. Thank you, Mom. <laughs> For, for being the very first guest and, and the most special and interesting and fascinating guest. And I've heard lots of stuff from you today that I don't think we would have otherwise talked about in a normal conversation. So I'm really grateful for sitting down with you and learning a bit more about your, your passion, which was teaching for so many years. And uh, continues to be, Claire. So what are the takeaways from this conversation? Well, number one, the key to a great classroom is connecting with people where they're at. Number two, choose books or literature that relate to your students' experiences. That may mean you have to get out of your comfort zone, but it will create a stronger connection. And number three, if you're not having fun, you're doing it wrong.
Thank you so much to Christine for sitting down with me for this really, really wonderful conversation. It was an excellent start to the podcast. If you like the podcast, let us know. This was, of course, our first one, so I'm very curious to hear your feedback about the content, the conversation, and even the sound quality. You can find us online on all of our social medias. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, at Xenolearn. Because we're still so new, we really, really appreciate any like, any comment, any retreat, or any follow that you can send our way. It is so, so appreciated. You have no idea. And with that, that is it for our very first episode of Xeno Learn the Podcast. Thank you so, so much for listening. We'll be back with another episode very soon. <laughs>